This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. About 15 years ago, I was speaking at the New Day Festival. It's a youth festival that we're involved in as a church with some churches across the UK, thousands of young people gathering together in a showground in Norfolk. And uh, I was speaking to everyone who was aged between 12 and 14, and it was a guy. So all the guys in that younger age group there. And uh, it was about four or 500 people. And uh, I was speaking to them, I think, probably about what it is to be a man of God, something along those lines, spoken for 20 minutes from the Bible. And then I said to the room, I said, let's just have a time, but just free question and answer. You can ask me anything that you want. And uh, sure enough, 12 to 14 year old boys have been able to ask me the questions, the things that are on their mind about how they can get a girl or what football team do I support or some particular things about theology maybe have made it in there. And then one lad puts his hand up. Stephen, what is the worst thing that you have ever done? And a few things happened at this point. Firstly, every lad who has been checking their watch, ready to leave, so they could get a, go, get a milkshake or go and play football, suddenly turned their eyes and faced me thinking, oh, what's he going to say? And then uh, I can see every adult in the room also turning to me and thinking, what is he going to say? And then inside, I'm having a full on panic. I think I'm prepared for every question, but somehow I'm not prepared for this one. And I'm thinking, God, is this the moment where you want me to confess my sin to everyone? Is this my moment of, you know, my sin catching up with me? So I'm thinking, what do I say? And so I said the following. I said, uh, well, um, well, um, well, I don't think it'd be very edifying for me or for you for me to tell you that. So I say what? Let's take the next question. And we moved on. That lad, though, he comes up to me at the end of the seminar. As people are leaving, he comes up to me and goes, Stephen, I think it's fine you didn't tell everyone what's going on in your life, but you definitely need to go and find someone else. And so what I did is I punched him on the, on the nose. No, no, I didn't. I just think he said, thank you so much for your care for my soul. I'll make sure I do that. Thank you. And... Uh, the reality is that lad had good wisdom. There's really good wisdom there. That actually, the worst things in our lives, we need to share it with other people. It's really important that we're known by other people and uh, we share even the worst parts of ourselves with other people. Now, this is something that's uh, not that alien to our culture. I feel like uh, kind of uh, disclosing who we are, the issues in our lives, even the bad things we, we do to other people is something that would be a kind of widely agreed that it's a good thing to do. It's good for our mental health, good for our relational health, good for our well-being. But it's also something that scripture tells us. And our scripture tells us not just from the motivation of a care for us, 
but also uh, because it's something that God is like. He is someone who dwells in light. And we're to be those that live in the light of God. Not hiding things away, but bringing them into the light. And as we do this, John tells us that we can receive forgiveness for our sins. We can know fellowship with one another, fellowship, relationship with God and forgiveness for our sins. And this series, Relational Wisdom, has a lot, got lots of practical outworking about how to relate to one another. But really, our ultimate goal of this, of this series is to help each of us relate better with God. Find our way back to God. That's what we say here, Emmanuel. Helping people find their way back to God. That's our mission. That's our message. This amazing God. What John says, uh, we proclaim to you that God is light. We want to proclaim to you today, God is light and you can know him. God is light, what does that mean? It means he's pure, that means he's holy, he's good, he's true, he's full of love and goodness. He longs for his graciousness to spread everywhere into our lives, into our communities, into our society. He's there to reveal what is right and he's creating a whole realm, bringing his kingdom to bear that is full of peace and joy, which he wants everyone in all places to experience. And that's what he's inviting you into. That's what he's inviting me into, that we might know him and know his goodness, know his light. And so maybe that's why you're here today. Maybe you're exploring this God of light that, uh, this, that Christians have experienced down through centuries and every, in every place and every time, that this God, that he's pure and holy, somehow other, but not abstract. He's one that comes close with his light, with his goodness. And we can know him and we can be in relationship with him. That's a good thing. And uh, like I said, maybe you're looking into that. Maybe you know uh, someone at Emmanuel who said, hey, come along, come and find out about this God. And our hope is as we look at this message today and as you journey with us, that you'll get to know this wonderful uh, Lord Jesus and his love for you. So stick around, keep finding out about him. So, but today we are going to look and the call us to be like God, to live in the light as God lives in the light to live honestly and openly, vulnerably with each other. And there's a wonderful link that as we do that, our relationships with one another will be better. Our relationship with God will be more solid. And then we'll have what uh, John tells us here, that we will know God's righteousness in our own lives. Know his blood covering over the wrong things that each of us have done. I want to warn you now that this can be uncomfortable. It's not easy owning the worst part of ourselves, beginning to talk about them. But it's something that comes with great benefit. I've been around this uh, church for 20 years. And I've been on a journey of learning how to live vulnerably before other people and reaping the benefit in my own life, in my relationships with others, but most of all in my relationship with God. Knowing the freedom of what it is to be his son, growing in worship and adoration to him. And that's my hope, that's my prayer for you today. And as we look at this, that you would grow in your love for God and actually grow in your knowledge of his love for you. Although he's pure and holy, He's also one who comes very close to us and meets us in our mess. So if there is general consensus, that is a good thing for us to be vulnerable about the things that are going on in our life. Why do we need to spend time looking at it, exhorting one another to be vulnerable? Well, it's because we're not actually that good at it. We may admit that it's a good thing, but actually living it out is a whole nother matter. We're actually hardwired to be those that hide ourselves away, to put a mask on, to, to shield ourselves, to manage the image that other people have of us. That's our natural inclination. We see it right in the beginning of the book. If you look at the Bible, you go to the first few chapters, you see God's made this wonderful, good world, but people quickly mess it up. 
They quickly disobey God. And what's their first instinct? Their first instinct is to hide, to cover themselves. They feel their guilt, they feel their shame, they feel their weakness, and they want to hide away. Hide away from each other, hide away from God as well. But John says that here. He says, if we uh, say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Because it's not that we just deceive other people, we also deceive ourselves about the reality of our weakness, of our worst bits of our sin. We don't want to look at it. It's exhausting to look at it all the time. And actually, we don't want to deal with the fact that we're not maybe as good as we think we are. There's a tendency to even deceive ourselves. If you don't yet know Jesus, you're in a place of self-deception. There's a line for you. When we come to know Jesus, what happens is we start to understand who Jesus is. We understand that he's real, that he lived and he died and he's still living alive and active in the world and in our lives. But when we start coming to God, we also realise some things about ourselves. We start to begin to realise, hey, we're maybe not as good as we think we are. That we've got guilt and shame that needs dealing with us. Have you worked out what to do about the problem of guilt in your own life? Right now, is it just a sense of ignoring it? Well, God says, no, I'm inviting you to look at your sin, to look at your witness, look at those worst parts. Why? Because he wants to make you feel bad? No, because he wants to lead you into something better, lead you into forgiveness, lead you into his righteousness. So if you're not a believer yet, that's a really important journey to go on. And it's something we'd love to help you know more about. That's our Alpha course. We've got a great small group that you can enter into and learn more about that. But it doesn't just end there. It also carries on into the Christian life. All of us still have the opportunity to deceive ourselves, to live in darkness, even though we pretend like we're living in light. John says this, if we say we have fellowship with him, with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. All of us need to be mindful about the fact that we want to walk in the light, but we can actually be living in darkness, whether that's unconfessed sin, and lack of awareness about our general vulnerabilities and temptations, where we live in the excuses of our mind or the excuses of our culture. John was writing to a particular set of churches who had a particular excuse that they were kind of living in. When he was writing back in the first century, they were living in this excuse that the soul and spirit were separate to the body. And because they were separate, it didn't really matter what they did with their bodies. They could sin, they could get into all kinds of sexual misconduct, they could thieve, they could rob, they could lie. Well, it didn't really matter because their spirit and soul were separate. And so they still remained pure. And a lot of what John was doing in this letter when he's writing to them is just saying, that is rubbish. When Jesus came to earth, he became a man. He lived as a man, man and God, spirit and body, and remained pure. And that's what we're to be like. We're to be those that live pure because the two are joined. Now, in my years of pastoring, I've not heard anyone make that excuse about their sin. Oh, my spirit and body are separate. Now, they might have said it in, in maybe another way, in another guise. But that's not really the excuses we hear in 21st century uh, Brighton. No, there's other excuses that we make these days. Maybe here's, I'm going to read some to you. Maybe one of these will chime with you. Maybe you've said this. It's just the way I am. It's just my particular struggles. I know I've definitely used that one. In fact, I've said to my wife, Emma, I've said to her, if you ever catch me doing that, or you catch people saying, oh, that's just what Stephen's like, ignore the fact that he's a bit like that. I said, no, that's not true. That's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible says that God is, is intent on doing a work in me, changing me from one degree of glory to another. And hopefully, if you've known me over years, you've seen a change in me. Maybe you have seen tendencies in my life, but hopefully I'm becoming more like Jesus because Jesus is working in my life. 
Maybe that's something for you to look at for yourself. Maybe one of these other excuses. It's not really hurting anyone else. Or maybe this one. I'm basically good. Or at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Or as bad as I used to be. Or everyone does it. Surely it's not that bad if everyone does it. Who can say what is right or wrong? That puristic look at morality. In one sense, any of those excuses maybe have a shred of truth at various times. But in reality, there is no excuse for wickedness. We mustn't allow our hearts to latch onto these excuses and allow them to kind of exist in our lives, our minds and our hearts. It can be so tricky to unpick those things. So tricky to know our own hearts. And Jeremiah says, our heart is deceitful above all things. It really is. We can be so deceived. Sometimes we can spot our sins, sometimes we can spot our weakness. Sometimes I'm going to a really bad place of thinking, oh, I can just think of everything that's awful about my life. But I know I'm also have a tendency to minimise things and ignore them too. The great Christian writer J.C. Ryle puts it like this. Sin never announces itself to us with its full intentions. It never says, I am your deadly enemy and I want to ruin you forever in hell. It shows its pleasure but hides its pain. Shows its sparkle but hides its death. Sin is a murky thing that lurks in the shadows. And this sin, well, it's championed by God's enemy too. God has an enemy, Satan. The one of darkness, the one of lies, who loves to come against us. He's active in coming against us. And he loves to hide the consequences of how powerless that sin can make us. He would not dare remind us of the horrible side effects, of the fact that when we live in a place of sin, whether habitual sin or unconfessed sin, or weakness and vulnerability that are hiding away, that actually what it does is it poisons our relationship with God, hardens our hearts and uh, breaks down relationship between us as well. Now, I realise I'm being pretty bleak so far. We don't really love talking about sin. It's a bit unpalatable in our society. But I want you to know that looking at sin is a good thing. It actually leads to joy, actually leads to lightness, and it leads to greater adoration for Jesus. Let me illustrate this for you. Jesus, when he was on earth, uh, he was uh, at a dinner party with some, his followers and some other people. And uh, this woman comes up and she expresses love and worship in an amazing, lavish way to him. And this woman was an ex-prostitute. And his father said, Jesus, why would you let a woman like this kind of pour out such devotion on you? Why does she love you so much? And he said to them, those who have been forgiven much, love much. When we look at our sin, when we realise all that God has forgiven us for, when we realise the enormity of what we've achieved for us at the cross, what does it do? It stirs in us adoration. It stirs up great love. When I think, oh God, this is where I'm at, but I bring it to him, and I receive his forgiveness. When I bring it to a brother and say, this is what I'm struggling with. And that brother reminds me again of the grace of God. What does it lead to? It leads to joy. It leads to lightness. It leads to more worship and greater connection, greater fellowship, closeness with my heavenly father because of what Jesus has done. That's what we can know today. So that's why I don't apologise for talking about sin. Hey, we're one of those churches that talk about sin. Yeah, we do. Uh, because we know there's a remedy to it. Jesus doesn't just point it out to leave us in it. No, he draws us out of it. And John, he's really here in this letter, just saying that to the people. You know, there's hope for you. You know, you know, you're tempted to walk in darkness. Don't worry, there's an answer. Choose to walk in the light. Choose to confess your weakness and your vulnerability to others, knowing that as you do so, relationship with each other, relationship with God, and your sins can be forgiven. To be vulnerable, well, that may mean being honest about sin. That is one part of it. But it also means just admitting that we're broken people. Admitting that we've got weakness 
And just like this, life is messy at times. Vulnerability encompasses guilt from the past, low-level anxiety, loneliness, sadness, general lack of joy or satisfaction. Being real about the fact that sometimes we doubt God. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed or inadequate as Christians, as friends, as spouses, as parents, as children, as employees, all kinds of places in life where we just know that we're not hitting the mark. And bring all these things. Bring them all into the light. And really my prayer, my desire is for us as a community in Emmanuel that we'd be better at living vulnerably with one another. Not having to put masks or not trying to pretend we're someone or something else, but being really real about who we are. Knowing that as we do, we're doing warfare. It's not just about our well-being. We're doing warfare against the enemy, Satan, against the kingdom of darkness and beginning to live in the light. For Christians, being vulnerable is just the everyday part of applying the gospel to our lives. Admitting that we need Jesus and apply his grace and love. I love that Sunday by Sunday, when we used to meet together, we start meeting together again, we take communion. It's just a reminder that we all have to go together to the table. We take the bread, we take the wine. We all need Jesus' body and blood for our sins, for our weakness. And that's how we start the Christian life. That's how we start faith is by admitting that. But it's how we need to continue daily and weekly. This is not a part of who we are. And it's a community activity. It's not something we do it by ourselves. We do it together. Our relationship with Jesus is uh, intensely personal. It really is about everything that's in you and connecting with him. But it's not private. It's something that's to be done as family and to be done in community. And so the temptation is, as we've done uh, kind of church in this way, through the screen, we can begin to think, oh, my, my Christian walk is just about me and, and uh, what's going on in my heart. Well, that's true, but it's so much more than that. And we have to get back into habits of being together again, begin to share life with one another. We've got to keep making effort to Zoom while we're still in this particular stage. Yes, it's exhausting at times, but there's also life and joy at the end of that call when we bring the grace and the gospel to bear in one another's lives. We are to be the key agents of God's love to one another. God loves working through people. He didn't need to, but that's his chosen way to work through you and me. And each of us are needed for that, and each of us are needy. I spoke to at least two people this week who said to me, oh, I don't want really to talk about it because I don't want to come needy. And once that's on you what they mean, they don't want to be uh, kind of unnecessarily dramatic about the things that go on in their life. But I just want to say to, to us, it's okay to be needy. We are needy. That's the reality of it. We need to be vulnerable. We want to be approachable to one another, make sure we help others. We also need to demonstrate, model to one another what it is to be vulnerable, to show that we do have needs as well. So I want to just spend the last few minutes that we've got together just looking at this. What does this practically look like? Well, it looks like three things. Getting to the right people with the right motives and at the right time. So let's look at that together. Let's find the right people. The right people, thankfully, is not telling everyone everything, which is great news for me. I didn't need to tell that seminar of 12 to 14 year olds all the sin that was in my life, all the grot that had gone before. No, I just need to find the right person, maybe a couple of people who just know me at a deeper level who knows my particular weaknesses and temptations, desires, the things that are going on, who are going to care for me. We're not just looking for mere accountability, but for real brothers or sisters in Christ who are really going to care about us enough to tell us the hard things, to rebuke us as we were learning last week and to call us out on the stuff in our life, not allowing us to minimise the sin. Who is it? Do you have someone you can speak to? I have. I've got a couple of people. 
my good friend Dave Brading, one of the other elders, he's my guy who gets to hear about all the stuff that's going on in my life. And I tell you what, when you write a message like this, it becomes very real. You think, I've got to tell the church of this stuff. I better make sure I'm doing it. So bless David. He got a text about a few things this week saying, hey, mate, next time we meet together, we need to talk about these couple of things. So I look forward to doing that this week. Here's a little one. Make sure if you're a guy, meet with a guy. If you're a girl, meet with a girl. Lady, meet with a lady. Someone that you can trust. And uh, we need to be people that, that other people can trust. And when they tell us things, we're not quick to blab it elsewhere. It's not always necessarily appropriate to keep it totally confidential, but we definitely want to guard other people's confidence. And uh, we need to be those who don't kind of respond in shock to the things in other people's lives, but create a safe space, a loving space, where we know that sin exists and we're not surprised by it. But we are pleased. We are, when someone brings something into light, we can say, well done, that's a great thing. Now let's look at it together. We want to be those that pray and ask God for wisdom as we deal, for that, deal with that. Ask God, for that, God, how do I deal with this? It can be so tempting to say, oh, that's, that's, that's not great. Or, um, oh, I've had that similar problem. It's not so bad. So no, God, help us to know the right thing to say. How to be grieve sin, to appropriately feel the, kind of the, the depth of it, but quickly leap people back to God. Here's another one. And let's check in on them. When people tell us stuff, don't think, okay, it's a one-time deal, but check back in with them time again. I've had some pretty bad experiences of telling people about things that are going on in my life. They're not dealt well with me. And uh, I had one in this, in this last 12 months. I was on a Zoom call with a team that I'm part of. and We had an agenda to get to, but part of our agenda was, how are you doing? And I shared some of the difficulties that were going on in my life. And um, it's quite a difficult one that I shared. And uh, what, what I had back from the call was absolute silence. Everyone just kept themselves on mute. And I, sh- and I was thinking... Surely someone's going to say something? Someone, any, any now, any time now, someone's going to say something. I've just put something out there, feel a bit vulnerable. I had to take a big deep breath before I said it. Nope, no one. So I'm, I'm meeting myself and went, anyway, back on with today's agenda. And we got on with the meeting. Oh, I tell you what, it stabbed my heart, left me in such a vulnerable place that I took that risk and, I, and it felt trampled upon. And I had to go to God with that and forgive those people and actually speak to a couple of those people and say, hey, look, that was really difficult. You didn't serve me in that moment. We have to say sorry and move on past it. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've shared something at some point and it's not gone well. It's come back and bitten you. And uh, let me tell you, I wanted to encourage you, take the risk again. We want to be in loving relationship, you know, which means at points we are going to get things wrong. Well, let's forgive, let's move on. Let's help one another. Find someone you can share with. Maybe thinking, if I share, will they share? Well, you don't know that. But I do find that vulnerability begets vulnerability. The more vulnerable, the more we live in, our, live in the light, the more we role model that to other people, the more other people feel that they can do the same. What about so the right people? What about the right motive? We want to choose vulnerability because we want to live in the light with God, not because we want the spotlight. Now, our culture says, yeah, be vulnerable. Tell people some stuff about your life. Why? Because then you can get a well done. You get, get some pity. You get some likes maybe in for it on social media. That's not what we're after here. We're not after about being in the spotlight. We're about living in the light of Christ, bringing our things to him. I've been in small groups where people think, oh, this is a great time to air things that are going on in my life and get some self-help and some group therapy here. Now, we, in our small groups, we do want a level of vulnerability. We do want to connect with others and live in the light. But let's not make it about ourselves. Let's call each other out when we are doing that. One way to guard against that is to examine is my vulnerability difficult? Because if it's difficult or costly, then it's probably, it probably is real vulnerability. If you're being vulnerable thinking there's going to be some payoff here, then it's probably not right. The reality is when we share things that are actually the worst parts of us, it probably will take a bit of a deep breath. It might cringe as we're saying it. It might be a bit tough. We're letting down the mask. 
We're kind of putting it, exposing ourselves. We're like Adam and Eve, and suddenly left a bit naked, a bit, bit uncomfortable. Uh, but we're doing that because we want to invite others to uh, help us move into a place of light. So make sure you've got the right motive as you're sharing. What about the right time? Let me encourage you. Now is the right time. Okay, maybe you can't have a deep conversation with someone right now, but like this week, I couldn't see David to tell him about some of the stuff that was going on in my head. I sent him a text straight away saying, hey mate, ask me about this and this. Maybe God's even right now speaking to you about some areas of your life that need to do with. Let me encourage you, why don't you text someone even now and say, hey, can we talk about this? Maybe you've got something that's difficult, you haven't got something to, to, to talk to a friend right now. We well, you know what's passed, we'd love to help you. Maybe you want to jump on the prayer call if you're watching live on Sunday morning or you can go to Next Steps and seek out a pastor to talk to. Let me finish by saying this. John is very kind as a leader, writing to people. He says this. He kind of circles around again and again uh, this topic. It keeps coming back to it. And we're going to respond in a moment in worship. And uh, he uh, comes back to, you know, said we, our verses from chapter one, but he in chapter two, he says this. My little children... I'm writing these things to you so you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, anyone sinned this week? Anyone got it wrong? Anyone struggling with vulnerability? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for just ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let me encourage you, my dear children, as John does, there's real tenderness here, not wagging finger at sin, but wanting to bring our lives, bring our worst bits into the light. Why? So we might receive God's love. We might receive his forgiveness. We might receive help to deal with those things. He said the sins of the whole world, there is no sin that is too difficult for God. There's no sin that is too shameful that he can't deal with and help us with. That is a reason to celebrate today. That's a reason to worship and glorify God. Uh, God with.